WDBM East Lansing. This is City Pulse on the Air. Joining you now, your Editor-in-Chief of the Lansing City Pulse, Burl Schwartz. Hello, this is Arts Editor Skylar Ashley filling in for Burl Schwartz. Later on in the show, we'll catch up with The Fledge, a Lansing community center that acts as a headquarters for many community efforts. From food distribution, business startups, group therapy sessions, and even cryptocurrency and coding groups. First up though, how has the shape of the 2020 presidential race changed in the last week? Here's Burl Schwartz with his weekly interview with MSU political scientist, Matt Grossman. Matt, what's uh, caught your attention last week in the presidential campaign? Well, Joe Biden is in um, about the best uh, shape of any candidate in, in this young century in terms of his standing in the campaign right now. He uh, is well ahead in the national race and ahead in uh, most uh, swing states. And the circumstances that, that brought him there mostly have to do with uh, the president. And the president doesn't seem to be able to, to change uh, directions in either uh, the policies and their visible consequences uh, or in the way he's conducting the campaign. Uh, the president's been throwing a lot of accusations out there, though. Uh, any of them likely to stick? Uh, I think that there there are plenty of um, arguments that, that would uh, work against uh, Joe Biden, at least um, to, to some extent. Um, I think we, we spoke about last time there's there's research kind of uh, assessing all kinds of different arguments. And, you know, quite a few of them are, are fairly standard arguments against Democrats and could be uh, successful. Um, some of the inclinations that the president has to take those uh, further, for example, to to bemoan the, uh, you know, the, the the destruction of monuments as a uh, threat to American civilization or our shared heritage, um, you know, might have some purchase if they were to kind of be uh, sustained and if the president could um, get off kind of defending his uh, own policies that that people are are seeing in motion. Um, so it's not that there aren't potential arguments or that he's not amenable to those arguments. It's just that they haven't been able to break through with any of them, especially with all the attention on their uh, seen failures. Uh, This is, of course, uh, the president, uh, this is a campaign uh, largely, uh, isn't it, about the president's performance. Uh, And uh, when you compare uh, the pandemic and the economy to everything else, Trump is putting out there, are there any undecided voters who are going to care about anything except how do we get through this alive and uh, without uh, going uh, poor? Well, that's right. It is a campaign that's uh, been based on uh, that uh, one issue so far, uh, mainly. Um, There's uh, tracking along the way where they just ask people, um, you know, what have you heard, positive or negative, about the president? Um, And these are the same questions that were used to show in 2016 that all of the attention was on Hillary Clinton's email scandal. Um, And this year, all of the attention is on the coronavirus and uh, President Trump's uh, uh, failures to 
or at least seen failures uh, to address it. So it's very hard to get beyond that when there's kind of one defining attribute that people are hearing about uh, the candidates. In terms of whether there are swing voters, there still are. It's just that they're you know mostly swinging against the president right now. I'd say the good news for uh, Trump is that when um, you know when you ha- when you're losing <laughs> 51 to 41, most of those people um, that are in, in the remaining undecided um, camp are going to be people that uh, normally vote Republican. And so they should be easier uh, to swing over to your side. Um, but, you know, he, he needs all of them and more. Um, and that that's looking less and less likely. Uh, there's some states where clearly uh, Trump, uh, where he did well, where he's now falling behind. But there are uh, there are some big states that uh, now people are saying may be in play. What's your take on uh, two of them, Ohio and Texas? Well, I think people um, sort of just get confused about uh, are they possible states that, that Biden could win, of course, versus are they states that could be pivotal in the election? Um, and I think that is actually unlikely and getting less likely. Um in other words, if he wins Ohio or Texas, then he's going to likely win a landslide. And so, um, you know, it's just not going to be as important as his performance in the, the swing states. Um, and to the extent that we've seen polling change, it does not re- really reflect this idea that some had that, OK, the, the battleground is going to move to the Sun Belt to Arizona, to Texas. Um, he's doing well in those states, but he's doing well even better in uh, the, the states that we still consider the swing states from, from last time, the upper Midwest and Florida. So um, yes, they, he could he could win them, <laughs> but um, not in, not very likely that they would make a difference in the outcome. But so he could lose them and uh, still win and the still election. Be in, still be in or, great shape, right. Okay. Uh, and now, uh, how uh, how are things shaping up in some of these Senate races? Uh, any changes in the last week? Uh, not a, a lot of changes. Um, interestingly, the, um, the the National Democratic Party still seems to be doing uh, very well in terms of getting their candidates. Um, elected to the, the Senate campaign, uh, that to be the Senate nominees. That happened again with Hager in Texas this week, as it happened in Colorado and Kentucky uh, previously. So uh, the Democratic Party um, is still able to, to select its, its own candidates. Um, not that that necessarily means they're, they're going to win, but they're still in a, they're still in a, a good position of being able to assess, um, you know, who's the best general election candidate and then getting their voters to go along with it. And that's something that the Republican Party is less able to achieve. Uh, we're talking to amateur uh, political scientist Matt Grossman about the 2020 presidential campaign here on City Pulse on 89 FM, uh, the impact. Uh, uh, Matt, uh, turning to Michigan for a moment, and I'd, I'd like to get back to some national stuff, but uh, uh, we're seeing. Uh, uh, John James, the uh, Republican uh, candidate for the Senate against incumbent Gary Peters, uh, out raising, uh, out fundraising him in the last uh, two quarters. Uh, what's going on in Michigan? Well, I'm, it, it is uh, true that um, 
that Peters has had uh, trouble drawing much attention at all, um, and uh, he's still a uh, the least known <laughs> senator that is uh, up for re-election uh, this, this year, and he's still sort of the best offensive option for the Republicans. It's just not looking like a year where that offense is going to matter um, that much if the national wave is going in the, in the Democratic direction. Um, but the Democrats do have a problem in that their um, kind of ability to do this giant online fundraising is dedicated toward um, candidates that are sort of the flashiest <laughs> and have gotten national attention before, um, and that doesn't fit Gary Peters. So, um, you know, he hasn't really benefited from it, whereas you see, you know, people in, um, you know, people in Kentucky <laughs> able, able to, to uh, raise a lot of money, even though they don't have much of a chance to win. So, um, I guess the trouble in um, drawing with kind of national online fundraising is that um, individuals directing resources are, are usually not picking the best races as well as um, as well as the national party parties do. Um, hmm. But I, but that that may be a reason why you know Republicans nationally are excited about John James, but um, you know that that isn't necessarily going to translate into a win. Um, but it, the other. The other interesting thing is just that the House, uh, <laughs> the House incumbents are, are raising, you know, almost half. Alyssa Slotkin raised half of what the Senate candidates were <laughs> yeah. were raising. So, um, you know, they seem to be able to be drawing support, whereas the Senate race just doesn't seem to be getting the the same uh, dollars or attention. Yeah, I want to talk to you about Slotkin. I just want to finish up on John James. Uh, is he uh, sticking with Trump? Is he? trying to separate himself at all with Trump? What, what are you seeing? Uh, I just haven't seen a, a big move. And without a big move, you get you get no separation. Um, you know, that in order to, I mean, it's sort of a misnomer that you can't separate yourself. You can. Um, people endorsed by Trump did worse uh, in 2018. Um, people who voted with the party um, in Congress uh, did, did worse in, in 2018. Um, so there are ways to separate yourself, um, but it tends to require a real independent reputation, um, and Republicans sort of fear that they'll make Trump voters or Trump himself mad if they, if they try to do that, and so very few have done so. Uh, you, you brought up Alyssa Slotkin, who represents uh, the 8th Congressional District, which all of Ingham County is in. Uh, is she the likely successor to Debbie Stabenow? She she seems to have caught on in a way that uh, I'm not sure we've seen in Michigan uh, for a Michigan politician in a long time. Well, we're jumping we're jumping ahead, I guess. But uh, I think you know, I mean, she, she's in a good good position. Um, she's getting national attention, and she's getting it without um, you know without either. Uh, gaining reputation as an ideologue or um, necessarily making uh, the ideologues mad. So that is a good position for, for rising up um, within the, the Democratic Party. And, of course, uh, Debbie Stabenow is uh, in no uh, rush to retire, so while <laughs> uh, off. But uh, thank you very much. We'll talk to you again next week. All right. Thank you. Thanks, Burl. You're listening to City Pulse on the air on 88.9 FM, The Impact. How is the Fledge, a Lansing Community Center and business incubator, hanging on through the pandemic? I spoke with its owner, Jerry Norris, to find out.
the Sledge was an important community center. Um, when the coronavirus hit, how did you reconcile with the fact that things would have to be rolled back super heavily? Um, and how did everybody at the Sledge get through that? Okay. Um, well, the very first thing we did is we started distributing food at a much more stepped-up rate. So, like, for example, on the very first day of the shutdown, high-caliber carting made a bunch of food that would have rotted in their refrigerators and uh, storage. And then we passed that out to the community. And then on the second day, we had another restaurant. We started putting our pantry out on the porch so that it was grab-and-go. So we immediately started feeding the community. And that gave us a um, – uh, sorry, I'm forgetting the word uh, – essential uh, status. So then we – the next thing we got worried about was that we were going to start to lose connection because a lot of people come here just to hang out and just to have somebody to talk to in case they're, you know, maybe struggling with something, they're thinking about depression or suicide, they have a substance use disorder. So we immediately started working on virtual meetings with Refuge Recovery and NA, and we started a morning meeting where anybody could dial into a Zoom call and a, a Zoom video, and we just were just talking. And we did we did all of those things um, since March. I think it was 16th that we started. And we've gone through today. I mean, we still do it today. So keeping a connection and keeping us essential and keeping food distribu distributed was one of the very first things. But then, I mean, we immediately went into getting our sewing machines into the hands of people who could start sewing masks. We put our 3D printers in the basement of someone's house so he could start 3D printing masks, so we started a mask distribution or production and distribution. We um, started to uh, then work on the companies that we work with, either getting them to pivot or virtualize in some way. So we started moving training online. We started to uh, have little art shows that we would just, you know, display art and try to sell it online and then going through all of the people who were starting companies and seeing number one who could pivot and start helping with covid and then our second priority is who could pivot and just survive through this and in this whole time we lost uh all of our revenue streams except for just one small one. So we couldn't have any events. We couldn't execute a lot of our contracts because they were event-based. And so we had to call out to our our crowd, basically, to uh, cash in some of our social capital and ask for donations to pay the bill. In terms of reaching out to the community, um were people highly responsive? Did you get the help you needed when you asked for it? Yes, very much so. 
Um, the community has been great, and I think that, you know, when when the community needs us, we help them. When we need them, they help us, and it's been a great symbiotic relationship. And I think that, you know, from from the very start, we were pushing forward to help the community, and by, you know, our just telling the story of the food distribution or the masks or the printing and and all of that we the crowd was already watching what we were doing so we just said hey we need some help and we put out you know a donor box underneath our foundation and uh people started making donations immediately and we raised 3 months worth of operational costs in about 20 days so it sounds um it sounds like at the beginning it was all systems go in terms of helping out Lansing, um, getting through the virus. I guess reflecting on that effort, are you proud of what the fledge did and what does that say about the fledge as, you know, a pillar of the community? Um yeah, I'm I'm very proud of what the fledge did and I think a lot of the people, the fledglings that were helping out are also very proud of what we did. I think it showed how resilient we are. Um, we could have had a deeper bank account that would have made us more resilient, so we wouldn't have had to cash in on that social capital. But I think that we definitely, you know, other people that are similar to us were closing down left and right. Some of them are not going to survive through this, and then others were getting, you know, they take grants, they get um, money from the government or some foundation or something, and we've still been self-funded except for the, the donations through the foundation. And so for us to be able to survive this and continue to um, – service the community i mean we we were still putting our can out we were still trying to keep people connected so they didn't use and if they did use we could get them there you know through it safely um yeah i mean i i don't know if we're a pillar of the community i don't think i get to say that because maybe i do yeah i i think we did well i think we held up a, a corner of this not a corner but our piece of the city so what's going on at the Fledge um, today? I know um, Friday morning um, you did the program 99 Problems, but a pitch ain't one. Um, yeah. So tell, we, us about, tell us about what that is. What's that program? Yeah, so once per week, one week on a Friday, one week on a Sunday, we have a pitch competition where whoever joins the Zoom meeting can pitch an idea to the crowd, and the crowd is both on Zoom and Facebook, and they pitch the idea. They've got 99 seconds. At the end, the crowd asks them questions, and then they vote, and whoever gets the most votes wins $99. And it's as, it's as simple as that. It's like open mic. You don't have to pre-register. You just kind of show up and get in line. Uh, and we've been doing, today was our 11th one. We've given out, uh, the first few, we didn't give out money, um, but we've given out about $800 so far, and it's becoming more about uh, the, the winning it 
and polishing your pitch and getting ready for like the hatching than it has been the $99. So we'll see people redonate it to sponsorship or to pay the DJs or whatever. Another major issue that's been going on, not just in Lansing, but across the entire country, um, is the response to the murder of George Floyd and um, all the demonstrations in support of the National Black Lives Matter movement. And the Fledge has been pretty outspoken about its support of those movements. Um, Would you like to talk a little bit about that, um, the Fledge's place? Yes, yeah, I will. Um, So, first of all, we we kind of land with the uh, thought that, you know, enough is enough. We have been, as an organization, the Fledge, and as a person myself, the Fledge for five years and Jerry for 50 years have been fighting this problem of racism. I've seen it my entire life, and the Fledge was designed to be radical and radically inclusive, to be able to start to re- restore equality and equity, and to celebrate our diversity and make us stronger. And when when the tragedy happened with uh, George Floyd, the I mean the the response from the nation. And the response from the kids in the city in particular was so motivating and so inspiring that, you know, with COVID happening and then this happens and the Black Lives uh, Matters movement uh, stepping up and saying, or not not stepping up like they hadn't been before, but but standing up and saying enough is enough, we, we immediately felt that passion and the whole concept of defund the police makes so much sense to us that, you know, it's exactly what we should be doing. Every crime that we have in our community community should be looked at as, one, a failure of our system, but two, a gem for us to learn from and to start making our community stronger and better so we don't have to spend the money on the police so that we can invest it in our teachers and our education and our technology. It just makes so much sense to us from an economics perspective. But I I fall back on what I said in the beginning, enough is enough, man. And, you know, I know people, they say what I think are stupid things like all lives matter and all of that to, you know, rebuttal this whole thing. But to us, it makes, you know, Black Lives Matter, and that that should be all you have to say. You shouldn't have to say because of this or because of that. But Black Lives Matter because their their children, their their mothers, their fathers, their daughters, their sons, and it just it 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 takes me beyond belief every single day that we even have to say this. You know, that we have to say wear a mask and Black Lives Matter and have people argue those two things is fundamentally makes me crazy. And I, I can't understand it. And to me, you know, this we've got a, a, a system inside of a bus and we're rocking this bus. And the Black Lives Matter movement has it almost tipped over. And if all the other marginalized people that 
you know, that come to the fledge, that live in the east side, that are from this big diverse city that we have, start to help rock in that bus. If we get the LBGTQ, if we get the uh, women's rights, the Me Too effort, we get all of these people that have been marginalized and oppressed pushing on that bus right now, we're going to tip it over. Is the fledge open today? Um like you said, a lot of people just use the pledge as a space to hang out, whether or not that's um, the computer lab you have downstairs or, you know, doing painting outside. Um, what social distancing efforts does the pledge do, or I suppose what's your policy to keep things safe over there? Yep. So we, one of the things we immediately started doing is studying the airflow of the fledge. We, you know, we have a, a big tech background. So we took um, our air quality sensors that we had already been working on that measures the particulates in the air. We took some of our smart technology that turns on, you know, switches like fans and lights and all of this. And we just started studying the flow of how things were going to flow through our system and we were doing that because we wanted to we we were committed to help the Lansing area mutual aid distribute food so we started putting up warning lights if people had been in a room uh before you entered the room we started uh turning fans on and off based on where people were and what doors were being opened and so we have a a very deep understanding of how our building operates and how we keep it safe. And then we started building barriers in these uh, safe zones. So we've got six uh, uh, work areas that you can work at where we understand where your breath is going to go. So you can come in, sit down and work, take your mask off. But when you're up and walking around, you have to put your mask on. And then downstairs, we've got um, an isolation booth and two studios hooked to uh, an engineering room. So we can we can record music with either pods of people, like let's say my wife and I, uh, we're going to be the engineers or being recorded. We can be in there together. Otherwise, we can separate into different studios. So we're, we've got the studios pretty well contained, so people are coming to use those. People are coming to use the 3D printer. That's its own separate room. And then same with screen printing and same with sewing. So that's all that can kind of happen. Oh, and then we let uh, uh, people use one person can use the upstairs for like a, a shared workspace. Then uh, other people have been starting to meet in the yard. So like NA met last Saturday. Narcotics Anonymous met on Saturday and just put chairs out in the garden. And uh, I have to give a shout out to the garden because it's beautiful. I mean, it's all food. It's all uh, herbs and remedies and all of these things. And it's really popping this year. So shout out to my own garden. <laughs> you can keep up with The Fledge by following its Facebook page. You're listening to City Pulse on the air on 88.9 FM, The Impact.